The 2018 AFL fixture is out and we relive some of the all-time Ashes sledges on the splash. It's Tuesday the 31st of October. Yeah, welcome into the splash on this Tuesday. I'm your host, Phil Pryor, uh, and as we said off the top, we're going to talk about the AFL 2018 fixture, which was announced by the AFL this morning. Uh, also, some cricket chat, the greatest ever Ashes sledges, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun, uh, and also where we're at with the with Australia's test team for the upcoming Ashes series uh, and how the Sheffield Shield action so far and ahead has influenced selections uh, in the more uncertain positions. Of course, number six in Australia's batting lineup and the wicketkeeper position, particularly also on the website, uh, Ange Postacoglu has faced a press conference grilling over his future as national team boss um, before the Socceroos World Cup qualifying uh, double header against uh, Honduras. Uh, and what else What else is going on? Well, Fox basketball writer Olgan Ulich is analysing uh, the latest Ben Simmons uh, game. The 76ers, it looks like they're progressing today's action against the Houston Rock- Rockets. So please head to the Fox Sports website um, for a full update uh, on how he went. Uh, all the highlights, of course, and all the rest of it. But let's bring in our guests so we can uh, dive into the AFL draw for 2018 uh, and talk some cricket after that as well. Uh, best Ashes sledges of all time. That yarn is on the website now. Be sure to go and check it out. Uh, and we'll talk about the upcoming round two of the Sheffield Shield as well. Uh, recap what happened in the opening round. Uh, and where that leaves some of the the Australia's test positions heading into the the Ashes this summer, and of course the first test at the Gabba. Cricket writer, ed- editorial lead of cricket here at Fox Sports Australia Online, Joe Barton. How are we, Joey? Very well. Uh, I've been enjoying the uh, the sledge yarn today. Have, have had a good read of it and. Uh Ready to talk about some, uh, some some sledges, which everybody enjoys. And uh, AFL turned cricket writer. He he does his gives us his best on both uh, from Melbourne, from the Fox Footy Studios. Tom Morris, welcome back to the Splash, mate. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's good to be sort of rotating between cricket and footy, depending where the news is. But uh, that is let's fun. Talk a bit of both. That is fun. You get to combine both those. Pa- uh, Passions, and you don't have to, uh, you know, be forced into a corner and pick one. Well, I'm just happy to be working wherever the company needs me, Phil. You know that. You're a company man. I like it. The Fox Sports <laughs> version of Elise Perry. It's fantastic. <laughs> Good reference. Good reference. All right, Tommy. Winners and losers of the AFL <laughs> fixture announcement for 2018. Uh, let's start there. Um, look, let's let's uh, kick this off with a with a more positive note. Um, who really, who really, you know, drew themselves uh, well? Well, Collingwood's the big winner, really, Phil, because uh, they had a horror 2017 draw in which they started this season having played Sydney and the Bulldogs in two of the first three rounds. But in 2018, uh, they've got themselves a really, really nice draw. They've got um, three Friday night games, which is good for them. Not as many yep. they used to have. But uh, the main thing is because they finished 13th last year, uh, it means that they only play 
two of last year's finalists twice, uh, and that's yeah. Richmond and Essendon. So Essendon's hardly that much better than Collingwood anyway. Uh, and Richmond, well, they should be good, but we don't know what they're going to do next year either. So the Pies should be really, really happy. Adelaide should be happy as well. They've got seven primetime games, five Friday nights and three, and sorry, two Thursdays. Yep. Uh, and they should be really pleased with that. And then Freo and Carlton had big wins as well. Freo played 13 games in Perth, which is huge. And Carlton, five Friday night games for them, or four Friday night games for them is massive. Mate, um, Tommy, it's Joe here. I just want to ask you about one of the losers potentially. Um, my my, my neighbour is a massive, massive Melbourne Demons fan and um, I think he's going to be a bit concerned because it looks like they've only got one Friday night game. Is that right? Why has that happened? You're spot on there, John. I've got to confess, I'm a big Melbourne man as well. And Just I rub it in. Melbourne <laughs> get one Friday night game while St Kilda get four and Carlton get four. So they have <laughs> nine Friday night games to share around between three lesser clubs or clubs that... Uh, don't pull as big a crowds or audiences, and they've given one to Melbourne. So I'm really surprised at that. I'm also pr- surprised. Uh, how that does Melbourne... that work? How does that work? Given you know they've recruited uh, a big fish to the club in Jake Lever. Um, you know they are on the way up, even though they underperformed on expectation this season. They're a club on the rise. Mm. Um, I, I think most AFL analysts will have them in their top eight next year. So how does that actually happen? Well, I think that's, they look at Melbourne and they see that they've got an Anzac Eve night game, which is a blockbuster against Richmond on a Tuesday night, yeah. um, which will pull a big crowd. And then they look at them and they see, well, they've still got Queen's birthday against Collingwood, which is a big match as well. And they probably don't think they need another Friday night game. But the reality is, and the, and the dollars show, show it, that Friday night football is the blockbuster time slot. So I'm, I'm surprised that Melbourne don't have more of a showing there. Now, they had one Friday night game this year. They're an improving team. They'll be better in 2018 than they were in 2017. And I think they've been shortchanged a bit. Sure. And can you elaborate uh, to everyone just kind of sort of the, the fairness or their, or, or their lack of, uh, in terms of a team like Sydney, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a great performing team for most of last season, uh, will face three teams from the 2017 top six, I believe, yes. and, the, and there's one other club. I think it might be yeah. Richmond that the Giants, the, the Giants, the face Giants, three other teams from the top six as well. Yeah, that also that also face that. Uh, how does that work? Given well, firstly for the Swans who didn't even make the preliminary final and finished, I think sixth um, or fifth at least. How does that work? That that they get one of these uh, toughest. Uh, draws uh, and how disadvantaged are the other top eight teams um, heading into next season? Well, I was just speaking to John about it off air. Actually, it's you. They do it in a certain way. So the, the draw is never completely even. It's not everyone plays each other once. You play everyone once and another five teams twice. Yeah, yeah. And who you play twice is largely dictated by what third of the of the ladder yeah. you finished in the year before. Yeah. So whether you finished in the top six, the middle six, or the bottom six, it's not it's not conclusive that way, but it, it's edging, it's weighted that way. So the fact that Collingwood uh, finished 13th and only played two <laughs> top eight teams next year is yeah. proof of that. Equally, Sydney play three teams that finished in the top six twice next year. And again, that's proof of that. So it's not completely equal. It's also not um, a hard and fast rule, but they try to weight the draw to favour the teams that finish lower and make it harder for the teams that finish higher. Okay, yeah, that makes uh, that makes a bit of sense. So you're better off finishing thirteenth uh, than twelfth, is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, well, 
interesting you say that because Richmond finished 13th in 2016. Yeah. And of course, won the premiership this year. And <laughs> they had a lot easier draw this year. So if you're going to finish, you, you actually yeah. are yeah. a lot better off finishing 13th than you are 12th. And that's a little bit ridiculous, but that's the way the draw goes. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we're going to have to follow that narrative uh, next season to see if um, you know a, a, a matchup in the final round of the regular season that might determine you know the thirteenth and twelfth place finisher uh, you know can really have an impact on 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 your draw the next year. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, for sure. Tommy, what else jumped out at you before we move on to cricket? What else jumped out um, draw wise? Uh, there's a few things. Jack Watts. Uh, who left Melbourne to join Port? I was pushed out of Melbourne to join Port Adelaide. We all hoped that he would face the Demons at the MCG. He has to wait until round 14 to play against the Demons, and it's not even at the MCG. It's at the Adelaide Oval. I was surprised at that. Mm. Another Demons one, Jake Lever, who joined Melbourne from Adelaide. Uh, we were hoping that would be an Adelaide Oval game for Jake for Jake Lever to play yeah. against his former teammates. That's not. That's in Alice Springs. So there's a couple of little okay. uh, idiosyncrasies in the draw that probably don't add up to what we would have liked as much. That's interesting. It, yeah, Demons and, and Crows, which could be a really good game. That they get they're normally not you know not to uh, take anything away from uh, from Alice Springs fans, but normally they give the you know the the smaller games with the small the less interest uh, you know to the regional areas. Yeah, exactly right. And probably the other one as well is Gold Coast because of the Commonwealth Games next year. They're they're not available to play at Metricon Stadium for the first 10 rounds of the year. So they're travelling all over the country and all over the world, actually. They're going to China uh, (laughs) to play against Port Adelaide. I think it's in round eight. So the Suns are certainly got their back up against the wall with new coach Stuart due to make finals or even perform well, given that they won't be on their home ground until round 11. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, uh, Yeah, that's going to be a tough start to the year. Uh, All right. Let's move things on. Cricket, uh, Joe Barton, kick us off. Uh, some of the great Ashes sledges, just to just to get our anticipation for the summer of cricket ahead uh, up a notch. Well, um, yeah. So the, the the list that we've compiled and we've put on the website, which is uh, up there at the moment, has got the thirty three greatest Ashes sledges. Um, nice. Obviously, Ashes one hundred and forty years old. So it's you'd a, imagine that there's a decent there's, read. There's been quite a few sledges over the years, and. You see some familiar names popping up there. Shane Warne's always always a, a sledge favourite. <laughs> Murph, Murph Hughes was um, was in the thick of it every time he had a crack. He, yeah. he had a running battle with um, England's Robin Smith um, over the years where uh, essentially yeah, they, they went toe-to-toe. But one of my favourites is, and I'm going to have to uh, censor myself here, with uh, with some of uh, Merv's colourful language. I'll, I'll trust you to, uh, to sort <laughs> that out. Um, so, yeah, Merv, Merv's bowling to uh, Robin Smith and... Uh, Gives him the, the little bit of advice. You can't f and butt. Uh, to which Smith responds with a boundary, um, and says, "Hey Merv, we make a fine pair. I can't f and butt, and you can't f and bowl." Which uh, <laughs> very good joke. <laughs> which which is a pretty uh, pretty devastating sledge when you've just been hit to the boundary and you've got to pick the ball up off the rope. But um, there's also colourful language is, is pretty central, I think. To, I um, haven't actually heard that one. That's good. That's, that's a good because there are some of those famous ones we've all heard. You know the um, the, the the war one uh, yeah. to Mark War uh, is that that's got to be right up there on the list. I, well, I think I think Tommy's uh, got a little bit of, of a backstory to the war one. For, oh. First, for the listeners <laughs> that don't know it, um, tell us what it was, and then and then your backstory. 
So Mark Waugh said to Jimmy Ormond, a a two-test paceman from England, there's no way you're good enough to play for England. And Jimmy Ormond replied, maybe not, but at least I'm the best player in my own family. Which I I think is actually quite brilliant. One of the the great uh, ones. I knew this sledge, but I didn't put two and two together when I was playing cricket myself in England, playing against Jimmy Ormond in 2010. And by then he was a, well, probably being quite kind here, a slightly overweight uh, medium pace bowler and he just bowled Yorker after Yorker after Yorker and it was only when, when I went Googled him after I played against him that I saw that he'd, he'd been the one who's actually made that sledge and I wish I'd been able to uh, bring it up with him because I think it's probably one of the best ones in this article. Did, did, you, uh, did you let any sledges out, maybe about his expanding waist or... Well, maybe if I'd been able to hit him off the square, I would have. But he kept bowling Yorkers at me, and I was unable to get off strike. And I remember it clearly. So I don't think I was in any position to have a word at him as a as a young, freshly faced eighteen year old playing uh, playing club cricket in England. And the People's Choice boys, what else? What else jumps off the? Off the screen for you. I'll jump in with one of my family friendly uh, favourites. Is it's about Douglas Jardine, who uh, I'm sure our readers will remember as the. Public enemy number one throughout the Bodyline series, um, the, arguably the most famous uh, Ashes contest of all time, where England adopted v- some very negative and aggressive tactics to to nullify the brilliant batting of of the great Sir uh, Sir Donald Bradman. Um, D- Jardine was the mastermind behind that whole uh, leg side theory: short balls into the ribs and having all the the fielders on the leg side. Um, so that's why the Australian fans ha- took a particular dislike to Jardine. Yeah. Anyway, one day at the SCG, and the backstory to this is that there is a, a famous, famous uh, fan at the SCG called Yabba, um, who, used to, who used to give hell to, uh, who's, who's immortalised in a, in a statue yeah, at the SCG yeah. now, but he used to give hell to all the opposition teams. But Jardine was fielding on the boundary rope at one point, um, presumably copying it from a lot of Australian fans, but no, no, none more fiercely than, than Yabba. Um, and Jardine's standing there swatting away flies, as you do throughout the Australian summer. The flies are already starting to take control here. Yeah. And uh, to which Yabba has a look at him and goes, leave our flies alone, Jardine. They're the only friends you've got here. <laughs> which I think was I think was pretty true at that point. Um, I think Jardine was offside with just about everybody else in Australia. Ah, that's great. That's great. And, and probably my, my favourite one, Phil, is a short one. Merv Hughes of Graham Gooch, right down the bottom of the article, which is a brilliant one, I think, for Merv. Quite uh, articulate. Uh, Victorian, of course, he said to Graham Gooch when he was batting, would you like me to bowl you a piano and see if you can play that? And I reckon that is certainly one that's been rehashed over the years with any musical instrument, any <laughs> club cricketer uh, feels like saying because uh, that's Merv Hughes at his best. <laughs> Merv, is a, Merv is among all the sledges there. There's a, there's a touch of Merv throughout. I like it. All right, boys, who's going to have the opportunity to uh, sledge uh, as one of the Australian test players for this summer um, because as as we've all kind of, you know, spoken about on previous podcasts and this and that, there aren't a heap of certainties, um, you know, for this test lineup uh, for the first test against England at the Gabba. Uh, Steve Smith, Dave Warner, probably Matt Renshaw, Usman Kawaja giving his record on home soil and Peter Hanscom. Um, this number six spot, potentially an all-rounder spot, is wide open, uh, and the wicketkeeper spot is wide open. Joe, yep. What did we learn from the first round of the Sheffield Shield about who has potentially put their hand up? Uh, we learned that we need to see a lot more in the second round because all of the <laughs> contenders, um, really, we yeah, we saw of of the what twelve contenders or so, um, we saw one fifty scored by by those guys. The the only people who scored runs 
David Warner got 83 and Uzi uh, got 122 and the and first yep. innings 40. So great for those two, but they were already locked in uh, for the Gabba test, whereas the likes of Good, Car- of, good of them to, to spend uh, time out in the middle and you know not let the other guys have a decent crack at it. I mean, to be fair, if they, if they hadn't, their teams would have probably been rolled for 50. So um, <laughs> No, but the likes of Hilton Cartwright, Glenn Maxwell, Sean Marsh, Mitch Marsh, Marcus Stoinis, Travis Head, Nick Madison, Patterson, Henriques, Joe Burns, Daniel Hughes, all these guys didn't really... Um, deliver in a big way. Uh, yeah. Cartwright and Sean Marsh for WA both got half centuries and looked in pretty good nick. Daniel Hughes, the <laughs> probably the most controversial selection in the Sheffield Shield last round. Of course, he was probably the one that uh, that denied Ed Cowan yeah. a spot in that New South Wales team. So he was picked ahead of, uh, ahead of Ed Cowan pretty much on the on the condition because he's younger and he's maybe more likely to be a Test candidate. Yeah, but I yeah. think most people accept that he's quite a distance away from uh, Test yeah. cricket. But yeah. he, was probably he would the, be an absolute bolter, you would assume, at this point. 100%. But he was the, I would say he was the best-performed uh, contender of the weekend. He got, on a, in very tricky conditions at Adelaide Oval, he got um, a good first innings half-century, got 57, yep. and backed it up with seven not out to, to guide the Blues home in their run chase on mm. day three. Under the, the nose of the Aussie skipper. Under the nose of the Aussie skipper, and I'm pre- presuming there were quite a lot of... Uh, I mean, there was a lot of test players in the Australian team, so I think there yep. would have been a few people watching that game and would have seen him as the best batsman outside of um, outside of David Warner on in in that three day three day uh, fixture. But um, I mean, he would be a bolter, as you say. But the the rest of the, the rest of the guys, uh, single figure scores for Nick Madison. Curtis Patterson got fourteen and a duck. Uh, Marcus Stoinis is a very good chance, but he got nine in the first innings, thirty two in the second innings. Yeah, they're just not the sort of numbers that um, that any selector is going to look at it and go. Right, I can pick this bloke yeah. at number six. Yeah. We'll get the next round starts in uh, on Saturday. We've got all three games starting on Saturday. New South Wales is hosting West Australia, which is I, th- I think is going to be the most important, uh, interesting, and important fixture this week. Mm-hmm. Mainly because you've got the likes of Cartwright, the Marsh brothers, and Marcus Stoinis. They'll be going toe to toe with the pace, the, the the Australian Test attack of Josh Hazelwood, who we believe is going to be fit um, yep. back from a side strain. Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark. And Nathan Lyon, of course, um, the goat, uh, rounding out the Aussie Aussie lineup, which yeah. is also the New South Wales lineup. Yeah. So if they can, if any of those four guys can score runs against the Test attack, I mean that's that's the best credentials you you need to put forward for um for a spot in the Test team, I'd say. So Glenn Maxwell's the incumbent. He got seven and twenty. I mean he really needs to step up yeah. and and put put together a knock of substance, whether it's a century or you know, 70 or 80, he really needs to, to justify uh, the selectors picking him for, for the first test. And yeah. he's he's coming up against South Australia. Not not an insignificant uh, bowling lineup there either with um, Chad Sayers, running leading wicket-taker in the shield and former test paceman Joe Many. So they've they've got good bowlers as well. So mm-hmm. good test for, uh, for Glenn Maxwell. Um, and really, everybody's looking for somebody to score some runs here. Yeah. Tom Morris, stick your neck out. Who do you... Uh, based on everything we, we know... Uh, who would you like to see in the in the number six spot? Uh, obvi- obviously, you know um, things can change this weekend, but uh, leaving that aside for now, uh, I'd like to see Sean Marsh in that position, and if not him, then Glenn Maxwell. I'd be comfortable with okay. either one of those two. I don't think we need an all rounder, given how uh, penetrating our bowling attack is of Cummins, Hazelwood, and Stark and Lyon. And yeah. 
especially because there's no all-rounder that seems to be good enough. So I'd like to see Maxwell or Marsh. Probably my preference is just for Marsh. Just an interesting one on what you're saying there as well with Josh Hazelwood coming back into the New South Wales team, which is a no-brainer. Does that mean Trent Copeland gets dropped after just taking six for against South Australia, which again shows uh, how how, quali- oh, how good the depth is at New South Wales cricket? I'd say it will be unless, unless there's a rotation policy in, enforced. I know... I think I heard Mitch Stark yesterday saying he won't play in the third Shield game um, in preparation for the Ashes uh, opener at the Gabba. So unless the the idea is that they're they're giving each quick two uh, matches, then in which case maybe Cummins will sit out this one. But I think yeah, Copeland would have to go. I mean, he can't he can't feel too hard done by if he's if he's getting dropped for uh, for Josh Hazelwood, arguably the best quick in the world. Alrighty, boys, quickly wicket keepers before we wrap this up. Uh, there's three, possibly four contenders, uh, and nothing's locked in. Matthew Wade, uh, Pete, who is the incumbent, Peter Neville, Alex Carey, the South Australian uh, rising star, uh, and Tim Payne's name is in the frame as well, but he can't even make the Tassie team, so we're ruling a line through his name. Uh, where are we at? Um, and, you know, did anyone stick their hand up uh, uh, in the first round of the Shield? Um, I'll... Go through it very quickly. Essentially, nobody scored any runs. Um, Peter Neville got 20, and that was the top score, which says all you need to know. On a, yep. on a pretty tough uh, weekend for, for run scoring across the across the country. Yep. Um, worryingly, Neville also had a couple of drop catches. Um, one, what seemed like a fairly easy chance off Pat Cummins. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, bowl, off the bowling of Pat Cummins. I think it was Callum Ferguson, the batsman. So yep. that's going to be a concern for selectors, seeing uh, catches go down. Um yeah, so essentially, <laughs> once again, no particularly standout performances and certainly a great opportunity this weekend for all three of those guys and potentially Tim Payne if he can get a run. Yeah, right. And Joey, you were telling me before, that if Alex Carey was to be a bolter selection, uh, it would follow a very similar pathway uh, to Ian Healy's rise into the, the national team. Yeah, Ian Healy, who uh, little known when, when he got called up to uh, on a tour of Pakistan. He'd only played, I think, six Shield games for Queensland. Came in uh, as an injury replacement in that uh, Shield summer. Yep. Um, and obviously never looked back, became our, our greatest ever gloveman, if not, you know, one of our greatest ever test cricketers, uh, mm-hmm. Ian Healy, one of, one, of the, one of the great men behind the stumps. If Alex Carey can, uh, can do something similar, obviously he's had a few, sh- uh, few Shield seasons to date. Yeah, but um, still mostly unknown. There's not a mm-hmm. not a lot of Australian uh, cricket fans who've who've seen a great deal of, of Alex Carey, but he's a very sharp gloveman and talent-wise, boys, where do we assess Alex Carey in terms of his um, you know potent? Let, let's you know talk about his potential uh, as a batsman and as a as a gloveman. As a gloveman, uh, five stars. He look, looks very sharp, very tidy, yeah. very few errors. As a batsman, I'd like to see more. Um, potentially, does have. Uh, well, I'd, I'd say his first class average of 25 is definitely on the low side, and I think he'll improve that. He's had yep. a couple of kind of down years after he came back from AFL, um, playing with uh, playing on the GWS in their first year. So I think he's definitely going to have to lift that average up past 30 to to really be a bit chance. Yeah, yep. Tommy, your your thoughts before we end this. I think Kerry uh, is a good prospect, but I think he's much more at the moment. He averaged 33 in last year's Shield season. I just don't think you can pick someone for an Ashes series who is going to bat at number seven that hasn't made a first-class ton. 
Uh, yep. I understand that Ian Healy was picked for that Pakistan tour, but I think a, a Pakistan tour is a little bit less significant than a, an Ashes series. So I'd be going back to Neville, um, presuming he doesn't have a have a shocking game with the gloves in in the next uh, Shield round. I'd be playing Peter Neville, and I think that's probably the safe option. Although I'd be, if I was a selector, I'd be keeping my eyes everywhere else because I think we're still looking for the long term replacement, I guess, of Brad Haddon, which we've been doing for for a couple of years now. Yeah, fair enough. Right here, boys. We're, we've we've gone over time, so we'll wrap it up. Thanks, thank you very much for uh, uh, for your help on today's splash, a big edition AFL and cricket, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for everything, boys. Have a good one. No worries. Great to be back. Thanks, Phil. And that'll do us on the splash. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.